If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com/audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com/audio. That's carshield.com/audio. If you're spending time with loved ones for the holidays, chances are you're going to hear a lot of stories, the ones you love to hear, the ones you've heard too many times, but also maybe you just want to help your loved ones document these timeless stories. Well, you can with StoryWorth and it makes it fun and easy. It's how anyone can write a book about their life. Every week, StoryWorth will email your loved one a single life-related question that you pick from their collection, like, what's the bravest thing you've ever done? Or, what's the farthest you've traveled? And all they have to do is reply with a story. And then after a year, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories, memories, and you can also add photos in to supplement these stories. And they will create this exquisite hardcover book, creating a valued keepsake. Nick's mom did this a couple of years ago, and she wrote one story that she ended up reading at our wedding. It was about Nick <gasps> picking oh. out his wife's jewelry when he was six years old. And it's just amazing to have it in a book now. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> Help your family share their stories this holiday season with StoryWorth. Go to storyworth.com slash TGOG today and save $10 on your first purchase. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash TGOG to save $10 on your first purchase. Storyworth.com slash TGOG. Hello. Hi. I had the most absurd <laughs> dream last night, Corinne. <laughs> oh, about what? About us. Was I in it? Yes. We what went we do? on tour to do a live show like thing, but we hired like kids to be performers in our show and they <laughs> acted out everything that we were doing in like full costume and they would right. sing. We had background music. It was like a musical, but we were telling I ghost stories. This. But then the kids, <laughs> it turned into a little bit of a nightmare. Then, oh, you printed out my research, but I, I, in the dream, didn't know if you did this on purpose or if the printer did it. But instead of like all of my research being there, there would be like blanks, like kind of like Mad Libs. So <laughs> I didn't know what it was like. And then they said, and then it was a blank. And it's like, but what did they say? I wrote this all down and now it's oh not here. God. And then the kids that is were funny. supposed to be, you know, in, in the story, I guess they had died, but then the kids wouldn't stop talking. And then they were like laughing and we were trying to tell our stories and you were just like kind of giggling along with it. And I was like, no, Corinne, this is not okay. <laughs> this is not how it went at rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we have hell week. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, wait. I love that dream. I feel like that makes a little bit of sense, though, because we both met in the theater. In the you were theater. much more of a theater kid than I was, but we both were in plays. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like, should we go Back. when we go manifest it? Mm-hmm. There's got to be like little theatery parts. And I love the idea that if we had a bunch of kids like doing like they could be like a choir. I mean, we wouldn't actually this isn't feasible to actually do. But I just imagine <laughs> to bring the kids on the road with like, us. <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. It's like a traveling musical tour and we have an entire set and 80 children Mm -hmm. that we just have to be like, guys, remember the steps. Stop giggling when you're supposed to be dead. When we're in Cincinnati, we better not hear a peep out of you. (laughs) Honestly, blessed be to those theater teachers who dealt with young kids because we were probably menaces. Or directors, any of you. Oh. Bless your souls. Absolutely. Bless your souls. Bless your souls. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. Musical edition. <laughs> <laughs> and this episode of Two Girls, One Ghost is sponsored by StoryWorth and HelloFresh. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne. And I am Hi. Sabrina. And yeah, one day maybe we'll hit the road and do a musical. I will say that that one was a will. much better dream than what I've been dealing with otherwise because all my other dreams have been – so Nick and I bought a house recently in Colorado and we have tenants living in it. And literally in the first week of moving in, a driver drove through the front fence, hit a tree, and then we have like plumbing issues and all of these things and it is just the joys of homeowning, I guess, but – um mm been a headache and I've just been having nightmares about the house and even Nick woke up at like 3 a.m. last night was like where's the deed and I was like (laughs) you're doing about it too not to say that everything happens for a reason or that this should happen to you guys but (laughs) I have heard from many friends in Massachusetts who've purchased homes in the past couple years that it usually shit hits the fan in the first like month or two. Yeah. Like I had a friend who had a tree fall onto their house their second week <laughs> and just like smash into the roof. So oh my yeah, gosh. no, it sucks. It takes, uh, you pump your money into fixing it, uh, but then hopefully everything's better in the end. Yeah. But it's so stressful. Yeah. Grateful for all the people who we have friends and everyone in Colorado who's just helping us a ton. Mm. But yeah, homeowning is a uh, quite a quite a experience. Quite an experience. This is actually a good segue because I have some important news to tell you, Sabrina. <gasps> I kind of like and, how no, you, I didn't. You, I didn't. Ha- you went like this as if like it was I- incoming That's news. I have an itch. <laughs> incoming news. No, my ear holes itchy. Sorry. Oh, I did not buy a house. So that's yeah. it. I made it sound like that. <laughs> I was say, wow. I'm trying. I'm yeah. trying, but everybody's beating me out for like <laughs> 300k all in cash. Whatever. Rude. I'm. Anywho, so I, because I cannot afford a house, (laughs) apparently, uh, I have been living vicariously through the TV show Farmhouse Fixer. Have you ever watched it? No. I haven't. HGTV. This is their second season. I'm obsessed with it. I think this is their second season. It's Jonathan Knight from New Kids on the Block. Mm. And he lives, he has a farmhouse, if anyone's familiar with Massachusetts, on the North Shore, there's a town called Essex. And that is where he has his farm, he and his husband, and all of their animals. But the show is so awesome because for me, I want to live on the North Shore. So every single episode, I basically get an example of like what could be an old house because they take really old homes. So it's like from the 1700s, from the 1800s, from the 1600s. And they they restore it. (gasps) They renovate and restore. So basically he has a designer with him. Wow. And she does a lot of the, obviously like the design aspect. And then he's the one who's, who's really into like restoration and salvaging items and making sure that the integrity of the home is not lost when updating it to the future. So it's a super addicting show and I'm obsessed with it, but Something crazy happened in a recent episode. Yes. I was watching it with my parents and we were at home. And then I just started Googling because I was like, oh, I need to learn more about this specific house that they're at. 
And all these articles started coming up. I almost saved this for oh my our in paranormal in paranormal news episodes that we do on Patreon, but I'm just gonna say it here because I'm too excited. Yeah. Spoiler. Okay. Spoiler. Uh, there is an episode. I can't remember the exact episode title, but it's basically like I think it's called Salem Witch House or something oh, like that. Okay. So in this episode, they go to the John Proctor house. <gasps> the house in Salem. Not not the judge. If oh. you're thinking about the one that we go see in downtown. The John Proctor house is, but I've seen that too because they they have tours of that, don't they? Maybe it's on the it's no because it's privately owned. Oh, and it's oh. on the outskirts of Salem. I was getting confused too because okay. all of these old homes, everybody's name was John, and yeah, all of the houses are true. black. Yep. So it was difficult, but basically, it's on the outskirts of Salem in the farm area, and actually, the way the town lines are now, it might technically be in Danvers. But anyway, it's far enough away that <laughs> semantics. If you saw it, it wasn't with me. Okay. Okay. So in this episode, they go and there's a woman from California who purchased this home, the John Proctor home, because she saw it advertised, I guess, on the news. And she kind of got a little bit panicked that the wrong person might purchase this home and like rid it of all of its history. So she basically purchased it. To protect it. Yeah. She lives in like Laguna Beach or, of course. or something. She's like yeah. OC. To be able to just woman. have the money to buy out a house because you want to protect it from other people ruining it. Yes. Sounds buy nice. buy out a house in an area where I can't even afford. <laughs> <laughs> so she's just like, oh, let me protect it. Uh, but so amazing, right? And so for anyone who's like, what's the John Proctor house? I had to remind myself of it too. The movie Crucible is John Proctor. But during the Salem Witch Trials, John Proctor's wife was accused of being a witch. And Sarah he was very, Proctor? very let me tell you. It was I have it up because I was like, I'm gonna screw up something. And and uh his spouse was it was so he had three wives. It was his third wife who was accused, oh. Elizabeth. Okay. But everyone, yeah, everyone's Elizabeth, Sarah, Martha, Rebecca. Mary. Yeah. Rebecca. Yes, exactly. So his wife was accused. And he was very vocal trying to defend her. And then all the finger pointing went towards him since he was like obviously causing a stir trying to defend his wife who was about to be murdered. So essentially everybody was like, oh, John Proctor, we have to accuse him too. And then 32 of his neighbors came and signed a petition saying like, no, he is a very Christian yeah. of the Lord man. He is is not practicing witchcraft. But despite all of that, He and his wife were accused. He was hanged on August 5th. And then his wife was pregnant at the time. And so they waited for her to have her child. And then she was executed after, which is super sad. Super sad. It's so horrific. It is very horrific. And and also, okay, so to add more context to this land and this house that they were at in Farmhouse Fixer. So John Proctor and his family... They don't really know exactly if his family lived in this specific house, but there were multiple structures on this Mm. piece of land. And his kids were basically left nothing other than the land. Like when he was accused and when he was tried, all of their livestock, their bar that they owned, everything was just like dumped, wiped, killed, sold off. So the kids were left with almost nothing. But his son, who I think was like John Proctor Jr., did live it, it's known there's record of him at least living in this okay. specific house okay okay so they're in this house and they make a couple jokes on the show about it just being like generally spooky but didn't say anything specific about it while filming 
Oh, no. The episode airs. And then everyone's like, are we just going to ignore that girl in the window? <gasps> Stop. If you're watching on YouTube, photo. we will insert the photo here. Oh. <gasps> it's it's, it looks like Samara. Like it, it looks like the ring. Yes. And so everyone what? was like, okay, he did have... At what point was this? Was it like during a shot of the house? Okay, so, yes. Okay. I found it. My whole family, we rewound <laughs> it and went like millisecond by millisecond until we found it. Okay. So if you're watching the show, it is when they get a FaceTime or when they FaceTime the homeowner uh-huh. and then they ask her the story of how she found this house. So she's FaceTiming them. She speaks for, I don't know, 25, 30 seconds, and then it goes to a pan. It sh- it shoots out and shows the house at an angle. It shows, like, the front door, right. the first floor windows, and then second floor windows, and it's kind of panning up. And if you pause at that moment, <gasps> you will see this ghost in the window. Okay, so then – I'm going to have to so watch the rest it. Of this, yes. Yeah. So the rest of the story basically is that they they didn't notice that none of the executive producers, none of the editors, no one noticed it when they were mixing this episode and and publishing this episode. Mm-hmm. So when people took to like Twitter and social media to bring this up, everyone was like from their team was like, "Oh my god, what the hell?" And, and they then, probably have so much footage that they could go through too. Oh my did god. They? Yes. Oh. I don't know. I okay. don't know. I hope <laughs> I hope someone did. I'm going to tweet I'm going to get a Twitter so that I can tweet at John. These are be like, these are two girls fun guess fun. I will. I can't remember the login. But I will. <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs> okay, but anyway, John responded cuz people were tagging him and mm-hmm. he said, "I'm getting goosebumps." And then he said the first thing that we he started talking about his experience there mm-hmm. and what you didn't see on the episode. He said the first thing that we noticed were these crosses on the wall everywhere. There were also curtains hanging from the attic stairwell entry. We were told it was to keep the ghost juices from coming down oh. the attic. Okay. And then they were saying, so John and executive producers and other people, like the executive producer, Victoria, said, we were all shocked to see the figure in the window and the footage of the John Proctor house. We didn't see any spirits while renovating, but the house definitely had an eerie, ghostly presence. It made John, Christina, who is the interior designer, Christina and the crew feel incredibly disturbed. Another executive producer was saying that the energy was definitely heavy in there. Herself and the audio guy felt like there was a presence that lived there, like, at the same time as them. And then there's just a bunch of other things that, that, like, people who worked on the set were saying. But basically, they said that they kept feeling like they were being watched and kept hearing, like, knocking and weird noises throughout the house. So they did a great job when they put out the episode of making everyone feel like it was just, you know, like, generally spooky, but nothing actually happened while filming. But then as soon as people came out and said, what's that ghost in the window? They were like, oh, shit. Okay, yeah. This house actually is super I haunted. also just imagine like like the PAs and like lower level people who maybe didn't want to say anything while they're on set are just mm-hmm. experiencing things. And also, when you're on set, there are hundreds of people. And I yep. guarantee that there are some people on that crew who are paranormally in tune and had things happening to them. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, oh, how freaky. Also, the pl- this house might actually be accessible to the public in the future because oh. I believe the plans when I was doing the research on this house and on the person who mm-hmm. purchased it, I saw that she had plans to have this space be used as a community space. So like oh. book clubs and different community Wait, events so will be fun. hosted in this home. Yeah. 
Okay, mm-hmm. well, we should do a TGOG book club meeting there. We should. That would be oh really gosh, fun. That would be fun. Okay. That would be great. I'm happy to do yeah. that. Mm. Anyway, I so I was just trying to, you know, relax, watch HGTV with my parents, <laughs> have a non-spooky show, and still got a ghost. Because the spookiness follows you wherever you go. Follows us. Follows All of us. us here. Yeah, that's true. Because we are spooky booches and paranormal things happen to us all the time. And I don't really know a great transition into what I'm going to talk about. So I'm not going to pretend I know one. I was like trying to rack my brain for a moment. I was like, this is not going to be good. I was like, and we also like movies. (laughs) I mean, it all has to do with television and film, right? The industry. Yeah, the industry. It's the industry. The industry. And ghosts love the industry. Yeah, ghosts love the world. I mean, ghosts love everything. So they're going to haunt whatever they can. We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. You can skip the trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable, which is why it's America's number one meal kit and also our favorite meal kit. Yes. In fact, Brian has me saving all of the recipe cards, and we have a special HelloFresh binder that we keep all of them in. <laughs> That's so smart. <laughs> we star our favorites, like <laughs> must eat again, need, 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 because it really, truly is delicious. Yes. You can save money on dinner with HelloFresh and put it towards your holiday shopping. HelloFresh, it's cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% less expensive than takeout. So if you need dinner in a hurry, HelloFresh's quick and easy options are like 20 minutes It's so easy. The cleanup is incredibly easy, and it just allows you to enjoy good times around the dinner table with your loved ones. And with the holidays, I'm sure you're going to have friends and family near. And so why not have delicious meals that are quick and easy? Go to HelloFresh.com slash TGOG65 and use code TGOG65 for 65% off plus free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com forward slash TGOG65 and use code TGOG65 for 65% off plus free shipping. So we're nearing the holidays. It's almost Thanksgiving, friends. And Christmas is right around the corner. Hanukkah, whatever you celebrate. I can hear the jingle bells and the fire flickering, the chestnuts roasting Mm. over an open flame, hot chocolate Mm -hmm. in my hand. I had hot cider last night. Mm. Ooh, The weather is getting chilly. So good. Coziness, warmth. Mold wine. What better way? Oh my gosh, yes. Wet pants. I'm in a sweat set right now. (laughs) I thought you said wet pants. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Yeah, sweating and tubing and pee in your pants. Nothing better. Yeah. Mm -mm -mm. Mm -mm. Great outdoors. But what better way to get cozy than put on your wet pants and snuggle (laughs) up (laughs) with your friends, your family, your loved ones on the couch and watch a movie? Unfortunately, Mm. for everyone, or perhaps maybe fortunately, after I share this story with you, no one can actually watch the movie I'm about to tell you about because this is the story of A Tuck, a movie so cursed it was never completed and is believed to have led to the deaths of at least six people. Okay. That's wild. As a trigger warning, there are stories involving drug and alcohol abuse, overdoses, and tragic deaths in this story. If that is something that perhaps is not your cup of tea, I absolutely understand, but I wanted to give that warning ahead of time. Mm. A tuck is a Inuit word meaning grandfather, 
and it was set to be the title of a feature film. It was based on the 1963 novel, The Incomparable Atuck. The book was written by Mordecai Richler, a Canadian author, and was published under the name Stick Your Neck Out in the United States. And this is where immediately the story gets weird for me because I tried to Amazon or Google buying this book and it had an Amazon page, but when I clicked on it, it continuously told me, sorry, we couldn't find that page. And had like a little dog, Lucy. Oh, little dog Lucy is protecting us. Protecting yeah. you, Sabrina. Seriously. So. Well, from- I will say too, mm-hmm. here at the top, and I won't give any spoilers, with the with the limited amount that I know about the Atuk potential book and, and everything yeah. to come, the film, I did have a moment this morning where I was like, did Sabrina potentially endanger herself? by reading or seeing something she wasn't supposed to. So I'm kind of grateful that the book wasn't even available for you to peruse because you do go looking. You, I feel I like you don't take the courses seriously <laughs> enough. Well, I mean, when you hear the rest of the story, it does seem like people reading it or looking into the story aren't impacted by the curse. Okay. Okay. Yes. Good. So immediately off the bat, I'm like, this is sus. Very suspicious. So... Perhaps the curse, maybe, as I say, it doesn't extend beyond the people involved. Perhaps (laughs) it does. And Lucy, cutie patootie dog of Amazon, was trying to save me from reading it and getting cursed myself. So that being said, I have not read the book personally, but I wanted to share the premise with you. And it was hard to even find the premise of the book itself. Like like when I was looking up all these things, it just said, like, if it's a fish out of water, satirical novel – So I Hmm. think a lot of the descriptions and synopsises of the book end up getting mixed up with what the synopsis of the film are. Okay. But I do think they are pretty similar. There might be just like location differences. So The Incomparable Atuck is a satirical novel that comments on the Canadian cultural elites who first idolize Atuck and then use him for their own message. It is said that many of the characters were parodies of real life Canadians in the public eye at the time. So I did not know any of their names. Hugh Gardner, Nathan Cohen, Pierre Berton, and Nathan Phillips. And I will say Pierre Berton's photo really made me happy because he's holding a cat. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I'm sure if I'm more familiar or if anyone else is more familiar with the politics and societal situation of Canada in the 1960s, I have an interruption, intruder. Oh my gosh, there's an intruder in the house. There's an intruder. Okay, so that's just some context about the book background of, you know, what's kind of going on in Canada. In this book, Atuk is a Canadian Inuit, which is an indigenous peoples of Canada. Atuk is a poet from Baffin Island with big dreams, many of which include leaving his home for something bigger. When a beautiful documentarian named Michelle Ross and her crew arrive in his village, Atuk formulates a brilliant plan. What better way to escape his small village than to stow away in Michelle's plane? And he ends up being correct because it works. And he lands in Canada with Michelle and Michelle finds him and is like, you know what? Yes, I will bring you across the border to America with me. And Atuk winds up in New York City, the Big Apple, the fish out of water. It's kind of like Elf. I also am like, isn't this the premise of George of the Jungle? Kind of, yeah. I think this is the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> the Hollywood was just like, let's change it up. Actually, I think. Yeah. I wonder when what year that came out. So as Atuk and Michelle settle into New York and ponder where Atuk is going to live, 
we find a real estate tycoon, Alexander McEwen, in his own dilemma. Alexander wants to build a metropolis on top of Alaska's wilderness called the Emerald. And this is where I think there's some discrepancies, like with the book, the movie. I think the book is Canada. The movie was Alaska. So either way, it's all about the indigenous protected lands. And in the, it's like McEwen is trying to build this this massive city on top of mm-hmm. protected land and environmentalists are mm-hmm. boycotting, trying to preserve the ecosystem. And on top of all of that, McEwen's son, Bishop, is just running amok. He's a terror. He's drinking underage. He's doing drugs. It's just a hurricane happening over here, earthquake, because Leia just made the whole table shake. And... Bishop is just wreaking havoc. One day, Bishop is joyriding on his boat and crashes into the pier and starts to drown. But fear not, because Atuk is there. Atuk jumps into the water and saves young Bishop from peril. And the Bishop's extremely grateful and feels like he owes something to Atuk and is like, let me take you out to party. So they do. (laughs) And then Bishop introduces Atuk to his dad, the great, big, powerful Alexander, who is also filled with gratitude and offers Atuk a place to stay in his massive mansion. And then there's a twist. Remember Michelle, beautiful Michelle from the beginning, who snuck Atuk across Mm -hmm. the border? Well, she works for Alexander McEwen as like a documentarian. She's filming things for him. And Alexander wants Atuk to work for him too, to be the image of a campaign of his. And Atuk is entranced by the glitz and glamour and the money that he gives up his dreams of being a poet. And Mm -hmm. in doing so, he also basically screws over Bishop and Alexander sends Bishop, his son, to military school. But Atuk is like, eh, it's okay. You know what? Like, Bishop will be okay. Maybe this is good for him. I now- Is Leia, sorry, is Leia, like, licking oh. herself or something next to the camera? Because you've been shaking for like She's climbing on the table. Half. She's, you know- Okay, okay. We decided this- ep- this I was is like, the- what gross thing is she doing next to us? <laughs> this is the episode of- um, let Leia do whatever she wants to do. Yes. I don't agreed. have a spray bottle for her. She just settled into a chair, though. So I think the shaking should should have ceased for now. Great. So Atuk is like, okay, this is this will be okay for me. I'm making a lot of money. I'm going to find success. And him and Michelle get to spend a ton of time together, which, you know, romance is key to a Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. And they start to kindle a romance. During the commercial filming, Michelle and Atuk travel to Alaska to try to appease the environmentalists and be like, don't worry, it's all going to be A-OK. And, of course, Atuk is basically taken advantage of for Alexander's own selfish desires to spread a message that Atuk was not aware of. And so, Mm. to get his revenge, Atuk breaks Bishop out of military school and takes off to save the Emerald on a dog sled, nonetheless. And the okay, story. So this is this is a comedy. I I mean, it's satirical, so I, it has a comedic lens. I'm sure. Yeah, which is interesting because normally on our podcast, when we discuss TV and, and film and potential hauntings or curses, it's usually like it's the omen. It's yeah, the, the haunting. You know, the, yeah, the conjuring. Really, really dark. But this sounds like it's kind of yeah, a, a little bit goofy. Like yeah, you were joking about Elf earlier, but. Half the cast of Elf might have been cast in this movie had it oh, been absolutely. made today. Yeah. I mean, that is what is interesting and very different about this is that, yeah, it's not dealing with a true story of a haunting. It is a true story. Well, it's not true. I guess it's based off of true real life. But yeah, it's just a movie. It's a, it's just like a fictional story that somehow there's like a, a believed, believed curse attached to it. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So they take off on a dog sled and they save the emerald. And the story wraps up with the project falling through. Bishop and his father reunite, which is great. And then Atuk starts heading home to his village. But that's not the end. There's a happier ending on the horizon. Literally, something is on the horizon. A plane. It's Michelle. And she wants Atuk to go off with her to Hawaii. And so together they ride off in Michelle's plane and live happily ever after. Lovely. Lovely. So it seems like, you know, a a fun movie to watch. And there's a lot that Mm -hmm. obviously happens. It's a whole book and a whole movie. So I just gave the, you know, larger synopsis of the story. Right. And I do believe that there's some of it that was more geared towards like the script film version than necessarily the book. But at its essence, it is adapted from the book. It's an odyssey and Hollywood loved the potential it had to be a blockbuster hit. So Norman Jewison, who is a Canadian director, actor and producer who um, I believe directed Fiddler on the Roof and Jesus Christ Superstar purchased the rights to a film adaptation of The Incomparable Otak in 1971. And as with most development in Hollywood, it takes forever. Between writing the script, selling it to a studio, casting, and all of that, even just before filming, it can take years. So Otak was no, no exception here. Norman purchased the rights in 1971, but was busy filming Jesus Christ Superstar, and so he didn't hire a writer until 1977. In 1977, he commissioned Todd Carroll, writer of Clean and Sober and National Lampoon's movie Madness. Todd was the one who changed it so Atuk was a native of Alaska who longs to live outside of his small village there versus the book where he was living in an Inuit village in Canada. The first draft of the script was finished in 1979, so it took two years to complete. And it wasn't until 1982 that actors started reading the script. So this is just, book comes out 1963, rights are purchased 1971. It's not until 1982 that people are reading the script for casting. Wow. It is a long time. If I were the author of that book, I would be, it would be upsetting because you get all of this excitement and all of this hope as soon as the rights are purchased and you're like, my idea is my creation. It's going to be in the, it's going to be made into a film. And then- it's tw- it's 20 years later. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. Hmm. I didn't realize that about the film industry, despite watching all seasons of Entourage. <laughs> I should know better. Well, you know, you've seen some of the stuff that I'm working on taking forever and then stuff that we're working on also is taking forever. So true. All, you know, I feel like you're just dropping little breadcrumbs, dropping little breadcrumbs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly inches forward. So. Mm-hmm. It's 1982, and John Belushi, who's a famous comedian, first reads the role and is immediately interested. So when John Belushi wants to be in your film, you accept. Obviously. Unfortunately, just a couple weeks later, on March 5th, 1982, John Belushi was found dead in his hotel room at Chateau Marmont in Los Angeles from a combined drug Mm -hmm. intoxication involving cocaine and heroin, a.k.a. speed. So... This is just a tragedy, and he was only 33 years old. So, of course, the production of A Tuck is put on a permanent hold and ends up in Hollywood purgatory, not quite dead, not quite alive either. And there's still plenty of potential and enough people who knew or had read the script and were interested in this movie being made. So then, in the same year that John Belushi passes away, United Artists purchased the film rights and cast comedian Sam Kinison for the role of a tuck. So they're like, okay, we're going to make this movie. We have another star signed on, another comedian, and production was set to begin in 1988. So it began. 
But as I'm sure you can guess, based on the fact that I said that this film was cursed and ultimately never completed, things did not go smoothly this time either. Sam Kinison had an alcohol problem and reportedly became disillusioned with the script. He was not easy to work with. It truly got to the point where the studio filed a lawsuit against the actor and they paused production until they could solve the legal issues. So now three years later in 1992, they finally settle things with Kinison and start production again with Sam in the role. Good Lord. But in another really tragic accident, Sam Kinison was on his way to a comedy show on April 10th, 1992, when a drunk driver struck his vehicle in a head-on collision. And the next couple of sentences are a bit heartbreaking. They're not necessarily gruesome, but I don't know. They're, if you are queasy or if you don't like to think of people in pain, you can skip ahead 30 seconds. But it is paranormal, which is interesting. So Sam Kinison did not die upon impact, but his injuries were very, very severe. He reportedly looked to his friend and said, I don't want to die. I don't want to die. Then kind of looked off and as if speaking to someone unseen, asked the words, but why? Paused again, like as if someone was responding to him and said, okay, okay, okay. And moments later, died from his injuries. So he accepted whatever reason was given to him by whoever he was seeing and speaking to. Yes. So I just got chills. Oof. Yeah. The friend went on to say that he was positive Kinison was speaking with someone from the other side and was quoted saying, whatever voice was talking to him gave him the right answer and he just relaxed. This makes me so sad because, I mean, I don't know this man. I don't know how he would have interacted with people who he loved or strangers or whatnot. But I just, I feel like had it been a loved one or or some angelic being that came down to escort him away, perhaps there'd be a little bit more willingness to go immediately. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like he was being told that he – I guess I'm thinking of it through the lens of already knowing that there there's a curse associated with this movie and potentially his death. Yeah. But I just keep thinking about it as like, but why? And it's like, because you read about this thing and you're not right. allowed to know. So now you must come with us. Oh, interesting. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, I would like to think not it to was – Not to put such a negative spin on I it. I know. But. I was shocked. I would like to think it was more of just like a – like, we'll take care of you. Like, it's okay. You can join us. Like, yeah. I imagine it. I hope it was a loved one or a guardian of some sort that was like, it's your time. And like, maybe we need you here more than they need you on earth. Or like, it's your turn to be a guardian to someone else. Like, I don't know. I, I, death is so horrific. And, and that's why, like, this whole episode is sometimes hard because it's like, there's a lot of pain and alcohol and addict, like tragic mm-hmm. accidents. And it's like, Yeah, at the end of it, it is suspicious that there's so much of it that's correlated around this movie or people who are connected to this film. But it's also very possible that it's just a tragic series of events and that, you know, there is no rhyme or reason to why and when people pass away. And death is like extremely confusing. And we as humans try to put some type of connection between them to better understand it. Mm hmm. It's reminding me of there was a high school that I had friends at and would play sports against. And we all talked about the curse of this high school because every single year someone would die. Oh, my gosh. A kid from the high school would die. And, yeah, you're right. Like, I mean, it's awful for that to happen. And it seems like statistically it it shouldn't be that case with a small high school. That many people 
passing every single year, but it could just be like this horrible sequence of events and it's totally random and it's not cursed. And, but we're trying to make some sense of it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because why are all these 15 year olds passing away? That's it's heartbreaking, horribly upsetting. It feels unfair. Yeah. But assuming now this is the second person to pass away, but the third person to create some sort of disruption to the movie going forward. Was anyone alerted? Like, did anyone have any suspicions or say perhaps this is just not going to pan out? It doesn't seem like there's any connection drawn between their deaths and the movies at this point. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the curse of a tuck continues. So after Sam's death, the movie is once again put in purgatory. But then just a year later in 1993, John Candy, who is another famous comedian, requests to read the script because he had heard of it and was super intrigued. So he Mm. and his friend, who was a screenwriter in the industry, Michael O'Donohue, read the script together. He read it, John Candy, and asked to be in the movie. And of course, when John Candy wants to be in your movie, he is cast and the powers that be began settling a production schedule and working around John Candy's schedule. In 1994, after filming Wagons East, John Candy went on a brief vacation before filming A Tuck, and sadly, he too was found dead in his hotel room. There was no autopsy performed, but it is believed that John died of a heart attack. Again, another horrible, tragic act of God. And it's all of the the leads. Yes. Too. These, it's... I I, ugh, I just feel like I'd be like, there's a clear pattern. Yeah, let's not make this <laughs> Don't movie. Don't take the job. If you were an agent, I'd be like, you're not allowed, you're not allowed. to take this yes. job. Like, you're not allowed to read the script. Well, there must be something like in the script too. You, this is a very. Remember how John read it with his friend Michael O'Donohue, who was a screenwriter. Mm-hmm. Well. Just eight months after John Candy's death, that screenwriter friend, Michael O'Donohue, who had read the script with Candy, died of a brain hemorrhage at the age of 54. Oh my goodness. I'm not 100% sure when people started questioning or proposing a possible curse, but like you said, Corinne, at this point, I'm just like, there are just so many tragedies and so many attempts at making this movie and not being able to that... In my mind, I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, let's put that script in the grave and cover it with garlic and lemons and silver nails or whatever you can. Right. The studio has enough money. You don't need this movie to be made. Exactly. But also, like, it's 1994. I was not old enough to use the toilet on my own, so there's not much that I could have done. And this (laughs) movie stayed in the Hollywood ether. So in 1996, United Artists approached Chris Farley to act in the lead role of a tuck. Chris Farley idolized John Belushi and was honored to have the chance to take a role that once was held by his hero. In addition, Phil Hartman, who was one of Chris Farley's really good friends, was considering taking a role beside his pal in the movie. So I'm sure you know where this is going because the death toll associated in some regard to a tuck is just continuously climbing right on december 18th of 1997 chris farley was found dead after ingesting a combination of cocaine and morphine another version of speed and if you Mm -hmm. remember it's the exact way that john belushi his idol had died chris farley was also just 33 years old then it's uh, uh, everybody's dying similarly yet yet differently it's like illnesses 
it's drug and alcohol addictions. But then there's also like freak accidents. And so it makes me wonder too, like are the voice that that one person heard as they were beginning to pass over, is that thing talking to all of them? Could that be yeah, I don't know. Wreaking havoc on their bodies and health. And then for some others, could they be hearing it and using these substances to try to drown out that noise of whatever is following them from this script, from this curse? Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like there's a lot of just in general, like there's a lot of drug abuse in our world. And um, I think there's yeah. a lot of drug abuse in the Hollywood industry and that's true. These comedians may have been dealing with their own demons and trying to drown out whatever that was with these drugs. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to know for certain, but it's, it's right. tragic. Especially given that that these issues were occurring prior to ever reading the script. Exactly. Or, exactly. Yeah. Yep. You're right. So then on May 27th of 1998, Phil Hartman, who was supposed to act alongside Chris Farley returned home from dinner and got into a fight with his wife, Bryn, and apparently Phil and Bryn had been fighting quite a lot. Phil went to bed before they could work things out and went to sleep, and trigger warning, at 3 a.m., Bryn entered the bedroom with a revolver and shot Phil between the eyes, and shortly thereafter died by suicide. Ooh, I have chills. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Man. six six actors. Six actors. Seven people total, if you are counting Bryn, have yeah. died in some way related or connected. I wouldn't say related specifically, but connected to the film attack. It is at this point that film executives ordered a seizure of the script and people began. Okay, good. <laughs> yes. At least there's something happening now. Yes. So then this is at this point, people are theorizing of a potential curse related to the film. But in 1999, the screenwriter of the film, Todd Carroll was just like, no, he dismissed the rumors. But then there are- Although I was going to say, I don't really trust him because <laughs> what if, what if it has nothing to do with the book? It's entirely something that's in the screen adaptation mm. that he, as the writer, maybe he wasn't aware that he was doing some form of automatic writing and put something in there that he doesn't recognize and doesn't affect him because he's the vessel of whatever else is out there cursing all who read yeah. the script. I don't know. That's the thing that's so frustrating with this is like, we just don't know. There's no way to know. And yeah. And of course, there are people who are dismissing his dismissal of it. And then there's people online. Like me. Yeah, <laughs> I'm exactly. Like, I don't trust him. I don't trust him. There's so many forums of people, you know, putting together stories and theories and trying to figure it out. Well, how can he say no? Right? Like, yeah. the point is, we don't know. We, we don't. don't know whether it's cursed. We don't know whether it's not cursed. So you can't say that it's for sure not cursed. I understand him wanting the project that he worked on, that he's waited years and years and years to create, to come to fruition and be a thing. But you can't also ignore all of the deaths that came before yeah. associated with people that were attached to the script and held big roles and were big parts of this movie. Like you, yeah. you can't ignore that. You can't just say it's not a curse. Everyone's just right. freak accidents one after the other. Yeah. It could be. It could it be. It might not be, but it could be. Anything is possible at this point. Mm -hmm. So it's now six actors, seven people, all with some connection to the attack movie that have died, all in tragic accidents, overdoses, car accidents, hemorrhages, homicide. As you can imagine, the power of the internet. All kinds of legends, lore, and rumors have spread about the supposed curse mm -hmm. of attack. 
Some people believe, and actually this is not even some people believe, this is just fact. There is a lot of frustration in the fact that only white men were being cast in the role of an indigenous Inuit man, which is yes, very infuriating. So some people were theorizing like maybe that's why there was a curse. Like, the, mm. you know, if there's indigenous, there's a lot of spiritual beliefs in the indigenous peoples and like maybe there's something spiritual like trying to enact revenge. My only qualm with that is like, I don't necessarily think they would bother, you know, I don't want to say like, oh, these Inuit tribes or the indigenous peoples are putting a curse on the movie because that's not. Right. Let's that's not, not what I'm here twice for. by yeah. not casting them and then blaming them right. for the bad luck with the film. Come on. Right. But people online, you know, theorize all types of things. So yeah. I disagree with that. But it's more just there is a frustration in, in regards to that. And if you look at Hollywood and fame in general, the awful truth is that a lot of people get caught up in drugs and alcohol. And I mean, in the world, outside of fame, like it's there's an epidemic of of drug abuse and it's a horrible mm-hmm. crisis that plagues so many people. And these men were no exception. So like we were saying, perhaps it's easier for our society to want to blame a potential curse for the deaths of beloved comedians and actors, but it's also very possible that it was just a series of tragedies. The author of the original book, Mordecai Reichler, went on to live a long and mostly healthy life, dying in July of 2001 at 70 years old. And I will say, I'm not, I don't have the right to provide the script to everyone, but if you are curious, it does exist on the internet. Plug your ears, everyone. (laughs) Don't listen to her. Well, I don't think reading it. I don't think reading it's going to cause any problems. You didn't read it, did you? This is what I was fearful of. I have not read it. Okay. But the script is dated January 12th, 1988. It's a shooting draft. If you want to read it, I'm I disclaimer. If you read it, you are reading it on your own will and we are not telling you to read it and anything that happens no. to you from reading it is we are not responsible for. In fact, we're telling you not to read it. Yeah. So if you do read it, it's because of your own morbid curiosity and taking that <laughs> risk yourself. Yes. But that is the supposed curse of Atuk, the Hollywood film that was wow. never, ever made. It's just so fascinating that it's it's a comedy. Like, it, yeah. All of the actors that you were talking about were huge comedians. Mm-hmm. So this was clearly a comedy yeah, and yet there was so much death. It just blows my mind because it's it just it doesn't fit the mold of what we usually talk about when we talk about no cursed movies. That's why I thought it was so fascinating. And it is, and it's the number of deaths too. Because yeah. oftentimes when we talk about haunted sets or haunted movies or what have you, there's a few deaths attributed with it. But oftentimes there's just like a series of things that happen on set or bad right. luck or plane crashes or car accidents. But it doesn't guarantee that there's going to be death involved. And sometimes too, there's also curses that we read about where it's like, oh, and this person's death was attributed to this curse. And you're like, was it though if they yeah. died 15 years later? Right. Did that does that, that really, really but this is like it is it is happening live. It is happening yeah. while they're trying to put Film. out this movie. It's well, like pre-production. Exactly. Yes. That's the thing is like truly aside from Sam Kinison, they never got into production. Like they were they had schedules set mm-hmm. up, but the deaths occurred before they could ever step foot on set. Yeah. Have you heard of blind items before? Do no, you know what blind items are in Hollywood? No. Okay, well let me give credit to this podcast because I didn't want to show up knowing absolutely nothing about the topic you were oh, you were discussing. Thank you. 
So, so I did listen to this podcast called Curly Conspiracies. Oh. And they covered the curse of Atuk and they were talking about blind items, which in relation to this film. And so if you don't know what a blind item is for everybody else out there, it's basically where people can submit like insider info on a celebrity, mm. but they don't include that person's name. They just give like descriptive details. So okay. there was one, for example, that came out where everyone was like, is it Justin Timberlake? Is it Harry Styles? Mm. Is it?" And they were giving all of these, everybody guesses because it was like, oh, this one singer turned actor like needs to clean his toupee. Oh, like interesting. Whatever. So it's stuff like that. It's like gossip where everyone's like, ooh, I didn't know that they were a toupee. Like, Which and everybody guesses. is like, basically it means that people's close confidants or who they think are close enough to them to know these secrets about their life are not trustworthy mm-hmm. people. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Sad. I don't know how these things are like submitted and yeah. vetted at all, but they're completely anonymous. But there have been multiple that have been proved to be correct and true mm. over time. So people do trust them a bit. Anyway, there was a blind item apparently about this curse oh. written supposedly by someone who had worked on the movie set that said that they had filmed for eight days at one point. And after eight days, they had to stop filming because of like a series of deaths and, and whatnot. And now that eight days of footage is locked away in a vault somewhere for no one. As it should be. To watch. Yes. Well, they did and film they quite saying, a bit with Sam. Like, I think they were filming when they So it must have been that, caused it. Yeah. the eight days. Yeah. And apparently there were also many more deaths that happened, but it was just to people that weren't, you know, like heading, like starring in the movie. You know, it was it was people yeah. that were on the the crew, people that had smaller roles. And so attributing their deaths and their misfortune to the film wasn't not as as clear. Interesting. But that there were quite a few more deaths that we just don't have record of, but people in the industry know about. Interesting. It's yeah. so disturbing and and it is. Also makes me sad that those stories of the people who also died maybe possibly on the crew or sets just I know no one knows about. Yeah. It is sad. I I just there's no rhyme or reason and that's what's so furious about this one. It's not like, oh, there's someone who didn't get cast for it and they went to someone to put a curse on the movie, you know? It's it is just right. like all of these connections of death and no one has a reason. There's no explanation. Right. My explanation, my theory <laughs> is that there was some sort of weird automatic writing thing mm-hmm. going on with the with the screenplay writer and that there's some sort of like spell or curse that's in there. And maybe maybe the reason that the majority of the deaths are happening to the people that are are cast as the lead is because there must be some sort of like level of concentration needed on a particular line that this person, Mm. this character says, which is why people who are studying this role in specific are like. Okay. I'm not saying I believe in your theory, but if I'm just going to like add to it. Yeah. It's kind of like a Ouija board. If we're saying an automatic writing, the writer of this, of the script, Todd Carroll, channeled a spirit and maybe released the spirit into the world. And the spirit Mm. was trying to take over people's bodies and it was targeting the actors who were cast. Yes. Ooh. Okay. (laughs) I like that. Again, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, you know, do we think maybe Todd himself is the one that's cursed and it has nothing to do Mm. with the movie or like, like what has he done after that? I'm curious because I'm just thinking like, what if something happened and 
some spirit or some person out there was like, nothing you ever do will ever be made, will ever be successful. And so unfortunately, all these other people are dying, but it's all to get to, to Todd. Uh, that makes me sad too. Any situation in, or all any sad. possibility makes me really, really upset and sad. And right. it's like unfair. And I mean, recently, I think it was maybe even with Claire Goodchild on our campfire stories where we were talking about a curse is only as strong as like you allow it to be. And like, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of mental power around curses. And I mean, curses are just so messed up because how do you know if a curse is on you and how do you get rid of a curse? And it feels like, but, and then there's generational curses where, you know, an ancestor of yours was cursed and now it's passed down. You're you're wearing that curse in your current life, even though it had nothing to do with you. Yeah. It's like practical magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You hear the little yeah. the bugs in the background. Yes. I mean, this is tragic. I am very grateful that that, that movie will never be made, that it's I agree. been pulled. Because the number of people made. who lost their lives, whether it is a curse or it's not, just I don't think it's worth a chance the chance of something happening to someone no. again to make the the movie. No. And not Just that this, lie. this podcast necessarily gets out to the Hollywood elite. But if it does, PSA, if that movie comes up from the grave, boycott it. Boycott it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there will be enough people who know about the curse, right? Mm-hmm. To to clue Hollywood in, right? We we all know. I'm sure other there's multiple other podcasts that have covered this out there. I'm sure people, all of the listeners, will direct them. I did have a sick. If we find, I did have a sick thought, but I won't say it. No. Did you? Do you know what What I'm thinking? Oh, that we produce it. (laughs) That's what I was thinking. You were saying. I was like, no. I was like, what if we're the ones responsible for bringing it back from the dead? Mm -mm. Mm -mm. But my brain thought it, so I said it. Yes. Does not mean I will act upon it. No. No, we will not. And everyone will be fine because they haven't been cast in a movie that doesn't exist. And you won't read the script, right, everyone? Right. Right. Okay, great. Lincoln, Lincoln bio. I'm just kidding. No. (laughs) I'm kidding. You've lost your marbles. (laughs) I got to protect everyone now. Sabrina's possessed. That's going to be the name of of this episode. (laughs) Sabrina's lost her marbles and is possessed. Yep. Okay. I have an email and this, well, I'll just read it. Okay. Hey ladies. So to preface my story, I work in the film industry as a PA right now. And I just started up at a new project and I was really excited about this really big film company. I've been doing your typical office PA work every day, which means a lot of time spent at my laptop, perusing documents and creating graphics. Mm -hmm. Well, over the past week, I've been catching up on your podcast while I'm working instead of listening to music like I usually do. Let me say this was not the best idea to begin with because I've been the one having to walk the creepy set hallways (laughs) all alone at night to hang up the posters across the lot. Alone, LOL. Paranoia is already having her way with me. And sets are really creepy when no one's around and the lights aren't on. Like it it is, there's just like a weird echo Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's very unsettling. You know what else is creepy that no one talks about? What? School at night. Yes. I went into my middle school during the day the other day. Well, why? To go to the craft the craft show. Oh, it's like, craft, why, the craft why were you back at your middle school? But even during the day, I was like, this is creepy. And then I was remembering how, how much creepier school is at night. But yeah, it's like those big spaces that normally have a ton of people in them when there's no one there. It's just so unsettling. It's so creepy. Like a mall, you know? Okay. 
Yesterday, the few episodes I got through were very weirdly coinciding with things going on in my life. I swear every couple of minutes I'd be thinking to myself, oh, hey, that's me, which (laughs) isn't an entire irregularity for me. However, it was happening more than usual, I'd say. One thing that's been on my mind recently is omens. Probably because my friend group has recently gotten into betrayal at House of Hill, and partially because I listened to your episode about omens just last week. Betrayal at House yesterday. of Hill. What is that? I don't know, but it must be a game. I want to know about that. Okay. Should we play it together? Yeah. We're marking this. <laughs> we have to figure this out. And all day yesterday, I kept having weird ones happen. Like I would check my phone and it would be 444. Four has always been my unlucky number. Mm. And I'm sure you know the history behind it as well. Now I feel silly because I don't. I feel like marking this as well. Should we look that mark, up? Mark. Okay, you keep reading. I'll look up what it is. Okay. Well, of course, I got into the episode about haunted film sets, and you guys started talking about the Perrin family. I'm super into the Warrens. Lorraine actually passed over my birthday. Oh. And I had the biggest chills hearing you say that they live in Atlanta, which is currently where I am as well. All I could think about is, great, now I'm closer to an energy that I promised myself I would never cross. Even us paranormal girls have our limits. And as I keep listening, you girls start to talk about the omen from 1976. Hearing about Richard Donner and his bad juju was enough for me, and I turn to my coworker and I say, I think that's where I draw my line. If I was ever offered a job on a Richard Donner film, I think I would just have to turn it down for the principle of it. Like, I just don't want to do it. And in the back of my head, I couldn't help stop thinking of his name. For some reason, I felt like there was something that I was missing, so I started to look up his name on Google and see all that he'd worked on, and I didn't find anything sus other than the hundreds of articles about him and his curse on the Omen set. And finally, I head back to what I was working on. I hear a ding come into my inbox email, and I see an email that my production had just sent out, the entire crew list. So I click on it to browse. And what's the first name that I see? Richard freaking Donner. No. He's our executive producer. Not even five minutes later, my boss walks in to say that there's been a huge malfunction with our hand washing stations on set. And we need to head out to help fix them before we leave for the night. To say I'm spooked is an understatement. (sighs) My friends jokingly told me to avoid any planes while I'm here, forgetting the fact that I'm flying home next week for our winter break. Here's hoping I don't run into any crazy lightning storms anytime soon. Wish me luck on the rest of this production. I'll send updates as they come. Also give kisses to Miss Leia for me. Cheers, CJ. Mm. And this was in 2020, and Richard Donner has passed away since he passed in July of 2021. Um, But... If people are curious about the curse of the omen, we did an episode of it or on it. And then he's also done multiple interviews, one on Shudder, where he talks about like what he and his cast and crew experienced on the omen, which was really disturbing and unsettling. And there was a lot of death and it was very hard on all of them. That's just a really weird coincidence for CJ to experience and Mm -hmm. where I thought this was going. And I'm curious because a lot of stages have been used for, you know, multiple things and have like a history of what was filmed on those sound stages. Oh. And I'm curious if that sound stage was used for any of that. Interesting. We need to look. I mean, this was two years ago that CJ wrote this in too. So I'm I'm assuming there's going to be some updates as to what else happened on set. So we need to do some investigating alongside CJ and figure this out. Also, CJ, will you let us know what the number four association is? Because- when I looked it up, it's from prehistoric times. The number four was employed to signify what was solid and could be touched. 
It also symbolizes the four seasons, four sides, fire, earth, water, and air, like the the four elements. And then 444 is said to be related to death, but it's usually a message from a loved one that they're nearby. Hmm. So I'm curious what CJ knows. I know. I'm looking at number four, bad omen to see if it, it comes out. Oh, it says the number four is considered unlucky because it sounds a lot like the word for death. And as a result, Chinese buildings often lack a fourth floor, mm. just as American buildings sometimes skip the 13th. Interesting. Okay. Likewise, Chinese drivers avoid license plates ending in four. So, and then also the number four in Japan is avoided in apartments and hospitals. Okay. As well as the number 49. So it sounds like, at least in, in Japanese and Chinese culture, number four is unlucky, similar to how we feel about number 14 and probably okay. in many other cultures as well. Interesting. I don't but know. It made me feel a little bit bad, too, about the possibility that Richard Donner <laughs> has, like, experienced such a tr- – probably, like, the biggest stain in his career where it was just, like, the most traumatic film experience. Yes. And that something, some sort of like curse and unluckiness could be following him too yes. on all of his future jobs. That sounds awful. I would not, I would not like that. No, no. But CJ, we'll have to get some updates from CJ. you. CJ. Yes, we will. Haunted Hollywood. If anyone else, yeah, if anyone else has haunted Hollywood jobs, mm-hmm. let us know. Yeah, if you've Please experienced ghosts on set, like let us know. Invite us to set. <laughs> Maybe I'll be back on a show and then I can bring you to set, Corinne. Yeah. There's so much that's filled in bo- filmed in Boston, too. I feel like I am now taking insult to knowing that we probably have a listener out there who is in Boston working on a set and hasn't invited me. My friend Anne. She's there right now till February. Do you want me to Anne, have her I've met you before. You? <laughs> yes. I can ask her. I want specifically to go on a set where Chris Evans is and I just – Want to run by him and say, on your left, to give like a little Marvel Marvel reference. He do, he has an apartment in Boston. I've always thought that I would do that if I see him. I won't talk to him. I won't introduce myself. Just, just go, on your left. Okay. I believe that this will happen for you. I feel it. Well, Thank you. We're manifesting it right now. It's a joke that I've had in my head for four <laughs> years and it hasn't happened yet. I just need to get it out. All right. Well, I, I hope for your sake it does happen. Thanks. And I hope for everyone who's watching or listening to this that you do not get cursed and that Mm -hmm. if you do read the script but we're not condoning it that you are safe and you are okay and that anyone who's working in hollywood who listens to this podcast that you have a very nice career that has no curses or negativity associated Mm -hmm. with it the only scary thing that should ever happen to you on set is befriending a ghost girl sabrina as (laughs) your co-worker Yes, that would be quite frightening. Manifest. Because I'm terrifying. (laughs) Well, thank you to everybody who has joined us. Please email us with any of your experiences, scary or not, uh, at twogirls1ghostpodcast at gmail.com. You can rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. Watch us on YouTube. Join our Patreon for a lot of fun activities. So much fun. So much fun. We have exclusive episodes. You get certain swag over there and we go live every month in yeah. certain tiers there's a lot going on and holiday cards when we we have, oh yeah we have holiday cards there's a lot going on and you also have first access to certain things that you know next year you'll probably want access to yeah, yeah. hint hint breadcrumbs oh, more breadcrumbs <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our editor, Aiden Manning, and the entire team at FRA Digital for editing our podcast especially this one because I was dealing with a lot of house stuff. So thank you for dealing with us and Leia Lots of pods, pauses that no one else will, yeah, will no hear. One will thank you. Thanks to our editor. Yes. Right? Yes. And thank you to all of you. We love you. And we will see you on the other side. side.